Hey, ladies and gents, and welcome to the Controlled Interest Spoiler Cast. This time we're doing The Last of Us Part 2. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dominic Orlando. Yeah, it's exciting to be the first and only spoiler discussion on The Last of Us Part 2 <laughs> that exists on the internet. The first and only. Uh, I, f- I forgot to mention, I'm your host, Jared Weich. Um, frequent guest of the podcast, we have Chris Nunes. Hello, hello. How's it going, Chris? Good, going well. Excited to talk about The Last of Us too. And not so frequent guest, but he recently joined me to go over the PlayStation event and talk about our reactions to that. Max Roberts of MaxFrequency.net. How's it going, Max? Going well. How are you guys? Doing good. Ready to talk some Last of Us. Like Dom said at the top, nobody's really doing this, so we wanted to make sure that we carved <laughs> a niche. You know, <laughs> I haven't listened to a single one yet, so this is you oh. know, I, oh, here wow. we go. Uh, yeah, so we're going to be going over a lot. Um, the way we have it structured is we're going to be giving our top-level thoughts on the game, then go into some brief gameplay discussions, and then we kind of wanted to go through the story beats of the narrative. Once again, I should preface, even though it's kind of obvious by the name of it being a spoiler cast, there's going to be full spoilers in this podcast. We're not holding back. We're not tippy-toeing around anything, so if you don't want the game spoiled for you, um, stop listening. Um, but if you have played the game and you want to hear more about other people's thoughts about the game and see how they relate to your own, Definitely keep listening. Um, I guess I'll start, and we can kind of go round robin with this. So my top level thoughts on the game are, in terms of pacing, I think that's the, like, one of the biggest criticisms for this game is the pacing. For me, I think from the beginning of the game up until the Abbey uh, assault on the theater is perfectly paced for me, right? I think from that point, from the beginning to that point, does real well. Um, from that point on where you take over as Abby and you move through the game, I didn't have so much of a narrative issue with it. For me, I just felt that that second part was poorly paced because you were in the back of your mind. You're always like, okay, when is it going to get to the point of reconciliation where she's back to the theater? Right. And I think for that, it made it the, the experience itself drag on because you were wondering when are you going to get to that point? Right. Like where's the time skip or what exactly is going to be gameplay and what's going to be a cutscene that leads you to that point. So for me, it felt like the second half of the game um, drug a little bit. It's and like a prequel within the sequel, which is kind of yeah, weird Yeah, exactly. To think about. And then, uh, as I shared with you guys, I think I had some of the most technical issues that anybody playing this game had. So I had textures for the water not load in. I had Yara go completely invisible. Well, not, not completely, but her whole torso went invisible when we landed on the island, which completely broke the immersion of the game. Um, I had this weird thing where whenever you go up to a crafting bench or even to open a, like a drawer, it, Allie wouldn't, or Abby wouldn't go directly to it sometimes. They'd kind of like muffle around in their animation and then she'd like snap back to where she was opening it. So that was quite jarring. Um, and I don't know if that's a problem with my PlayStation because I have the PlayStation 4 Slim, so I don't have the Pro. Um, either way, just... It's odd for a Naughty Dog game for me because their games are usually so polished and I guarantee you I'm in the vast minority of players who experience all this stuff, but it is my experience with the game, right? So it is what I experience and I have I think, to kind of... I know I saw at least like one post or one tweet at least of uh, similar uh, issues people were having. I don't think it's, you know, like a big problem, but I don't think you're necessarily the only one, right? I think like maybe there's just a few small things that filtered through the the bug catching for this one yeah and i think the one of the the most prominent ones was the rope stuff right Uh, i think people had a lot of issues with that which i didn't experience any issues with the ropes of tossing them over fences or you know through stuff Um, but yeah i just wanted to mention that and then lastly in terms of expectations and reality going in um my expectations were set kind of favorably like 
I wanted this game to be better than the first one, but I wasn't expecting it to rewrite the book, right? Like, because it's called part two, I knew it was going to be an extension of the narrative of the first game. Uh, my biggest gripe with the first one was the shooting mechanics. I've always disliked Naughty Dog shooting mechanics. I do think they improved them in this game. They're obviously not ideal for what I like out of a game uh, still, but it was an improvement from the first one, which was a game I still love despite not loving the shooting mechanics. So in reality, it was a good experience, and obviously we'll get into the narrative and what we liked and disliked, but overall, I think I'm thumbs up. I'm not as high as the people who are really high on it, and I'm not as low as people who are low on it. Um, if it was a 0 to 100, not necessarily review score, but my enjoyment of it, I would say I'm probably in the high 70s, low 80s, somewhere in there. Um, but I really enjoyed it. liked it more than the first one, too. Um, I guess next we'll go with Dom, since you're the co-host of Controlled Interest. We'll have you go up next. Sure. Um, yeah, this is like one of the only a handful of titles that like are in that like perfect kind of category for me. Um, I'd, expectations versus reality were like trickier because I wasn't sure mostly narratively what to expect from this because the first game ends really well um but i mean obviously there's always more that can happen after that but it kind of felt like ambiguous like it could have just they could have just not done a sequel and no one is it would have been necessarily clamoring for the story to be finished right um so they, they could have went a lot of different ways with the narrative in this one so i had no i had no idea what to you know what to expect or how it was going to go the only thing like i kind of knew was like oh it's a revenge story right so like something bad is going to happen to Ellie or someone around her. Um, that's, that's about all I expected. So, um, but gameplay wise, it definitely met expectations. I think Cause the first game, I really liked the gameplay and the stealth and a lot of it too. So it seemed like this gameplay built on that. It didn't necessarily like do anything crazy and new, but it just refined and deepened that exist that gameplay that was already there. Um, but yeah, narratively, as far as what I thought about it, I guess um, th- there was that point in the middle of the game that, that you mentioned, Jared, where you switch characters and at the first couple hours after that, when you first switched to Abby, was like kind of a slog, uh, you know, especially as you realize I have to go through and upgrade all my stuff again and I have mostly the same guns um, and it, you know what, where we're leading to, like you said, Jared, and it's like, can we just get there already? Um, cause that was like a big cliffhanger that it just kind of like leaves you on. But as we got into it and as, uh, Levin Yar came into the story, I got super, super invested. And by the end of it, by the time I got back to that, uh, confrontation between Abby and Ellie in the theater, I was like even more invested than I was the first time we had gotten there. And my view of all the characters or most of them had changed drastically uh, at that point, which was really cool. Like that was obviously a really risky narrative move for them to take and, I totally get like if, if you didn't like Abby or if, if that part of the story you didn't they didn't do a good enough job selling you on that then the game would kind of fall apart because they just made you go through another 10 hours of something you know with a character that you didn't like but uh, for me it definitely landed and I I enjoyed the hell out of it uh, the story and everything else the ending was uh, we can get in, we'll get into it later and what we thought about it but um, yeah this is I really love this game so uh, Chris where do you fall in it are you as high as Dom or I feel like I'm probably going to be the lowest of anybody on this. Um, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed um, the st- the story was was okay. Um, I I didn't think it was obviously better than the first. I think that hitting that mark is just too high. Um, expectation level for me was just beyond the moon, just because it's Naughty Dog, and I thought that they were going to take this into a different place. Um, as far as the split is concerned, I actually would have 
preferred it had we had Abby's story first and flipped it and had uh, Ellie's story second. I think that building up Abby's character in the front half would have given me a little bit more context to Ellie's story in the back half. I understand why they did it because you have a, a kinship to Ellie, so in order to try to do that, you want to bring a person into at least 10 hours of the game before they're out. Um, otherwise, that could have caused a lot of confusion. I thought that the pacing was um, iffy. Um, it, uh, it, it definitely slogged. I, I mean, I, I really liked Abby's character, so don't get me wrong. I, th I thought the character was done really, really well. I enjoyed my time with her. I just thought that that first four to five hours, especially when I saw day one, and in my head I'm like, great, we're going to be doing three days of this. Yeah. Just because I kind of had an idea of where that was headed. Um, and then especially, like Dom was saying, as soon as you saw that you had to upgrade all of her crap, it was like, Jesus, here we go. Like, and so there was a good stretch, um, and I think I even put it in, in our chat, of like four to like, I don't know, maybe eight hours where I'm just like, man, this is just dragging and dragging and dragging. Like, they need to get to the point here. Like, I get where it's going, but it's taken a long time to get here. So, I, I mean, I, I like the game. I, I, it's a it's a top game. I mean, the graphics are great. Obviously, motion capture is fantastic. They do a great job in conveying messages in, in their storytelling. Uh, as we get into the narrative, I'm going to explain some things that I thought were very kind of off for me that, that either needed more explanation or they should have just left out. It's good. It's fair. Um, and even then, it's funny. You're saying you're, you're probably the lowest on it. I, you still have a lot of praise for it. So it's not like you're, you know, necessarily. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, if like you said, if you're in the 70s or 80s, I'm probably in the 60s or 70s. Like it's not I mean, this isn't a bad game. Obviously, it's Naughty Dag. It's a top rated game. I think that they, you know, they they produce really quality work. I just thought that there was stuff in the, the narrative for me that just didn't jive or didn't make sense or I didn't understand characters' motivations a, a little bit, even though I followed where it was going. Yeah, I totally hear you on that. Uh, Max, as somebody who recently did, you know, Chasing the Stick, a whole podcast and audio book and piece about, you know, the history of Naughty Dog during the PS4 era, uh, mm -hmm. how do you feel about, you know, The Last of Us 2 as a whole? As a whole... So going into it, like you said, I wrote this big, long, you know, 18,000 words about essentially the development of this game and, and the long of it. So I kind of went in. I knew ahead of time I'd enjoy the game. Like, it's just they're my favorite developer. I knew I was going to like it. But my my expectations was just it was going to be a game as Ellie the whole time. And you it was going to be about hate. And I was going something was going to set in motion this journey of vengeance. And really, the game isn't about hate or even, I mean, the cycle of violence is absolutely a part of it, is what they talk about later. But really, in the end, is about love and empathy. But it's not empathy in the characters of the story so much, maybe between Abby and Lev and, like, the Seraphites and stuff. But more, it's more empathy in you, the player, and your role in this cycle of violence. So I really enjoyed where they took the narrative not only in the game itself but outside of the game and in the context of what they were trying to say i thought that ended up working for me as far as you know gameplay and the world and just graphics and things like that i i think it actually exceeded my expectations in that space because i did like the first last of us gameplay a lot um especially in the multiplayer and i'm, I'm missing that here now mm -hmm. but that i just that stealth scavenger kind of gameplay is just right up my alley and so i refining it and expanding upon it i thought was super fun for me and i mean i just finished my survivor run and that was i had way more fun on survivor than i did on normal and i 
to me, they did a really great job, and I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, it's great to hear. I mean, it it's an impressive thing to meet expectations, and obviously maybe not everything was met for everyone, but um, they've set such a high bar for themselves that yeah. it's every time they release a new game and they're, you know, they astound people with what they're doing, it's incredible just because the expectations for Naughty Dog go up every time they release a new title. Like... Yeah. Imagine when their first PS5 title is revealed and the expectations people have are that, especially with the new hardware. Like, um, And I don't doubt that they'll at least uh, meet expectations for a lot of what people anticipate, right? So it's incredible yeah, what it's, they're able to do. And it's not just the bar that they set for themselves based off their previous work, but the deck was stacked against this game from the get-go, not only because of the work they did with Last of Us Part 1, I guess is what we should call it now, um, but just the people I, I don't even want to say fans because a lot of the outcry against this game is not i don't think anything a, a reasonable level-headed fan would would say but just the people on the internet surrounding this like were primed to hate this game before even touching it i mean just look at the metacritic user scores the moment embargo went up when no one had played the game outside of the press they really yeah, had a uh, tough going in it was just this controlled chaos of this group of people who, whether for political beliefs or just, you know, the toxic gamer community at large, they didn't care what the quality of the game was or what even the game was about. They saw maybe some of those leaks that came out or had their own assumptions about what the story was going to be, and they just decided to spew hate, which sucks because that becomes louder and louder, and it drowns out actual criticism of the game. You know what I mean? Um, like, worthy stuff that Naughty Dog should maybe take into account and look at towards their next installment, but... They're sitting here having to swim through a vast ocean of toxicity, you know what I mean? That has nothing sure. to do with the actual quality of the game at the end of the day. To both of your points, like that, that conversation level was a lot of people's just version of the story without even actually playing it. So like that, that's really a huge hurdle to try to overcome when you're trying to face people who only know verses instead of the whole chorus, you know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, I wanted to get into a brief gameplay discussion. I'm going to tie these two together real quick. So enemy encounters and AI dialogue. So ever since the first reveal of this game in terms of gameplay, we saw a look at how the enemy AI would actually call out about their fallen comrades, right? They'd use real names. And that was to add to the level of immersion in the game. And I kind of wanted to talk about that specifically, but also the enemy encounters in the game in which, you know, when you run into wolves... Uh, as opposed to when you run into the scars, technically the Seraphites, but I like using scars because it's w shorter syllables and quicker in conversation. Um, <laughs> it feels completely different, right? Especially with like the whistling that the scars do and the creepiness of them, whereas the wolves seem a little bit more intimidating. Um, I guess we can also throw in the rattlers, which are at the end of the game as well. I just want to hear from you guys how you feel about those enemy encounters and the AI dialogue. For me, real quick, the AI dialogue was awesome at the beginning, but it was one of those weird video game things. I'm not knocking Naughty Dog for it, but it's one of those things that the mo knowing that it's like in there to add to immersion, the more you hear it, the less effective it is, if that makes sense. So like in the early parts of the game, it was really effective. I was like, oh God, he just said that guy's name. Who was that? Um, and some of them are actually added on to by the fact that when you play as Abby, you meet some of the people you killed with Allie already, which is super weird and jarring. Mm. Um, but as the game went on, it felt less effective to me. Uh, not that it wasn't any less impressive, but it didn't hit the same way. And that's just a, a thing that happens with the video games. So I'm not going to knock them for that. Um, but I guess we'll start with you first, Max, since we started with you last on the top level thoughts. How did you feel about the enemy encounters in general and the AI dialogue between one another? I... I actually was super surprised at 
how different each one felt and you know so there was those three human groups but also the um, infected so there's yeah. these kind of four different groups that all have a unique vibe to them and you the front of the game is you spend a lot of time fighting the WLF first and they're pretty traditional just militaristic shoot first ask questions later kind of people not so dissimilar from hunters in Pittsburgh in the first game and I enjoyed those encounters and figuring out that space and whatnot but when the scars are introduced which is actually pretty close to that E3 demo from 2018 the they were were more scary like horror kind of scenario not in the spookiness but just they were low in the whistling which I think is creepier than the clicking so I didn't think they could make normal sounds creepier but the whistling uh, I think they succeeded there and it's actually a whole language of each whistle and its inflection means something and it can be deciphered it's nuts and then the rattlers are more I actually was really frustrated with the rattlers not because of difficulty and stuff but that's when they decided to add like helmets and I was like come on I want to take these headshots and just put them out um and then the new infected type with the shambler and then the rat king which that fight is really it's essentially inside but you get to fight it and that was cool <laughs> just yeah. a nice surprise and um I really enjoyed that as far as the name calling stuff as soon as it was revealed I thought two things uh, how long until I hear a repeated name yeah you know how many times is Sally gonna die or uh, when am I gonna get annoyed by it I was surprised that at least in my two playthroughs I didn't notice like repeat names at least near each other um so it's not like in Grand Theft Auto where you're driving down the street and you see the same car three or four times so I was impressed by that the when it gets annoying I was never quite annoyed with it but like you said Jared later on it was uh less effective I was surprised that all the dogs have their own name too um and if you kill the dog before you kill the person, they call out to the puppy, which I thought was um, pretty interesting as well. And then uh, one time at the end, I did have a particularly difficult encounter there at the hotel with the Rattlers. And it wasn't that I kept killing the, the they kept using the same name over, but I kept dying over and over. So I kept hearing the same guy's name over and over because <laughs> yeah. I kept killing him early on. So that was my my fault because I kept dying and couldn't push through this it was literally the final encounter before the final fight and I just I was ready to get there because I knew what it was and I just kept hearing I think it was Miguel just over and over and I kept blowing Miguel up with a a trap (laughs) line and I just kept hearing no Miguel and I was like come on all right I get it he's dead let's move on um but all in all I think really smart really fun fights for me yeah, uh, Chris, how did how did this whole system work for you during your time with the game? Um, I actually didn't mind the name calling out. I thought that, that was actually pretty interesting and and to Max's point, I didn't really hear in in my playthrough a whole lot of repetitiveness. Um, also to his point, the eeriness of when you come in for the scars is is almost because you feel trapped in that forest and you don't know which direction to go. And it felt like when I first got there, any direction I went, I was getting blasted. So like, I, it, it w- I had to actually plan out and and try to seek out a, a direction first, or at least who I could take out. Um, as far as the dogs were concerned, I thought it was a, um, especially when you try to take a, uh, take out a dog quickly with like an arrow, it's like as soon as you take out the dog, the person who's with the dog 
is notified right away, so you have no shot. Like, everybody's alarmed. So I felt that I had a difficult time trying to take a dog out quietly because I wanted to get them out of the way quickly. Um, yeah. And I thought that that was – it was like, well, you know, if the person with the dog's back's turned and all of a sudden the dog goes down, can I get, like, th- you know, five seconds before – the whole alarm goes off and 50 people are coming after me all at one time. Um, and that didn't work out so well. I, the thing I didn't care for was as far as the, the voicing is for the WLF and even in the shamblers is they constantly called out where they were going. So I wasn't nervous about where they were at any point when they were trying to pin me because it's like, Hey, go to the right. They're behind this. They're behind that. So they knew where I was at any given point. So it's like, all right, we'll look to my left, look to my right, make sure that there's nobody behind me as far as, like the scars, though, like those whistles, like I had no idea when somebody was coming behind me. It's like I, I was on a swivel the entire time, and I thought that they just underplayed having them in the game. I, I would have loved to have the scars double the amount that I saw them, to be honest. I think that that playthrough would have been a lot more effective. I think it was it was awesome in short spurts. It would have been better at a longer spurt, even over the initial WLF stuff that we had to play through for the first, I don't know, six, seven hours. Yeah. Uh, Dom? So this was like one of my favorite parts about the game and was like the most effective to me was, yeah, not only were they, did you hear someone call out someone else's name, you know, by their first name when they died, but like before you initiated combat, they would be having a conversation talking about, I don't know, music or whatever it is. And like, and you're just kind of sitting there waiting for them to like do their route and then you're about to blow their head off and you're kind of feeling like, like they're just talking about Nickelback or probably not, but you know, something, (laughs) um, whatever it is. Right. Um, and then the dogs especially like that that like that really fucked me up um especially when you see that same some of those same dogs you know on your second playthrough with abby like because already that was like a a sensitive thing that some people had you know uh hesitation with going in like oh do we have to kill dogs in this game i don't want to do that um but not only does it i guess you really only have to kill one but you do only it would be kind of difficult i mean it's easier if you just kill everybody right so um much easier yeah so uh, that was especially effective when you hear them call out their name because it's no longer just like you know how many there's dogs in so many video games you have to kill right but it's generally they're just like you know nameless you know german shepherd one two three four you know i mean it's just the same terrifying dog and you don't feel bad for a second but this game kind of like not only with the people with the dogs flips that on its head and like really makes you kind of regret even as you you're ellie and you're like you hate abby at this point you want to get her and you want to do anything it takes but as it, as you're going through the story as Ellie, um, you definitely, I definitely started to feel like uh, this is just, this is like wearing on me as the player of like all these people I'm killing and all these dogs I'm killing, um, and then obviously by the end like it gets driven home by other narrative uh, points. But yeah, this was like one of the more effective things for me um, with the game. The one piece of it that sometimes was a little too much. So a lot of enemies when you kill them, they'll scream bad like mm. and you just feel absolutely horrible at that you just killed them and they'll just scream out in absolute existential agony and that was also really effective except like those rare times when like you'd blow a guy's head off with a shotgun and his body is somehow screaming <laughs> and you're like well that's not quite right that, you know <laughs> that didn't work um so i guess that's kind of like just a, a, a little thing that sometimes would would be missed is like okay you wouldn't not everyone would scream like that when they died a lot of them would but certainly not when their head is evaporated um mm-hmm. so that that was yeah. one part of it for me that was like it got to be a little too much by the end of it with that the scars that first encounter reminded me a lot jared i think i was telling you about this of halo one when you first meet the flood and i remember that being like absolutely terrifying and it's this weird new enemy and 
uh, Chris mentioned they communicate differently, and it's just like a, a wholly different kind of, uh, you know, way to fight that they have, and it was super scary. And you have to, you meet them after, you know, while witnessing them have a WLF guy strung up and like they cut his intestines out or whatever they do to him, and like you're just in the grass, like, okay, here's these people I've been hearing about, and now I'm apparently have to fight them, and and I don't know which way to go. Like, yeah, I'm I'm in this forest, and it's yeah, and then you just get pegged with this arrow, and, and yeah, but yeah, the, the whole like. The way they humanized all the enemies um, was super effective for my playthrough. Especially, so as somebody personally, I'm kind of against like formed religion and organized religion in general. So <laughs> having, uh, you know, a group, and we'll get into this during the narrative discussion, that kind of has this martyr that they worship. And then the moment that that martyr goes away, they kind of change their entire belief system to fit whatever they specifically want to do in that moment, which goes mm-hmm. against like everything that the martyr stood for. Um makes them even creepier because it shows the power of uh religion and how it can manipulate people you know what i mean very very interesting Mm -hmm. um we're gonna move along to the narrative but before that uh instead of having an ongoing discussion what i want from you guys real quick each of us is the the most notable example for you in the game in terms of survival horror elements and then your uh the most notable piece of level design and I'll, i'll shoot first for level design, I think it's uh, towards the beginning of the game when you're escaping from the infected with Abby. There's really no notifications on the ground or anything telling you where to run, but it so effectively navigates you to where you need to go, and it feels very natural, and it adds yeah. to the anxiety and stress of the situation as a whole. They're great at that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think yeah. that was a shining example of level design in the game. And then in terms of survival horror elements... Uh, when you go on to the bottom parts of the hospital with Abby, that entire section is like scarier than any of the resident recent resident evil games I've played. It, it was yeah. very, uh, fear inducing. So, um, I guess we'll shoot with you now, Chris first, what was your favorite example of survival horror elements? And then what stood out to you in terms of level design? The survival horror, uh, for me was the chase scene by the rat King as you were like trying to get through all of those doors and those quick oh, sequences yeah. was like, it was inducing. It was like, geez, like where the hell am I going to go? Like I like in my head, like it was real fast. I'm like a left, right, left. And then you get, I'd get pinned in a corner. It's like, crap, that's the wrong way. And then all of a sudden I'd, like, get, <laughs> my stomach would get eaten out or I'd get snapped. Um, so that was the biggest, uh, survival horror. As far as level design, man, that, that first moment when you see Seattle, and like it kind of all opens up and Mm. it's basically like go anywhere and you're like oh wow like i can i mean obviously there's some restrictions in seattle but but for a naughty dog game a kind of go anywhere it's like i can go up i can go down i can jump i can climb things it was just it was awesome and it was something that definitely wasn't obviously in the first game and it's just they they made it shine for me specifically right when you first entered that city I, I kind of got adjusted to it afterwards, but like when that first happened, it was just like, wow, I can go into literally any building and break glass. This is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Max, what about you? As far as survival horror, I, I'm i partial to any fight with a bloater, which there are two. Um, bloaters, I think, are super creepy still. And I, the shamblers are a really good new kind of upper mid-tier scary part. But the two bloater encounters were I thought super fun and great and then really encounters with scars where there's whistling because that stuff is spooky man (laughs) I just uh, that stuff gets to me and I'm always my heart's always racing and I'm always trying to play it out right so the forest and things like that with the scars I thought was a lot of fun 
as far as level design goes, I the hospital getting there as Ellie and like working your way inside, which I believe was actually the last demo they showed in like that state of play. But it was then that I realized that the the way most encounters are were designed was an inside and an outside area and the way that you can just weave in and out of that space there's no hard cutoff it is a a dense environment it's not just like you fight here first and then you move to this part and then you move to that part it's more of um like an, an arena encounter kind of yeah like an open encounter almost like metal gear solid ground zeros like it's it's a confined space that you have navigational freedom in to play how you want it's not on the scope of you know i can go anywhere and do anything but it's uh you see places where you can go and those squeeze throughs and all that stuff i thought Mm -hmm. that was really um that was when it clicked for me of like this is really i think good design yeah uh dom what about you i mean we hit on a lot of my favorite points too as far as design and, and survival horror um one thing that especially like the whole survival part of survival horror um, really worked for me being ammo is really scarce. Um, and eventually you can start to craft ammo, but only small bits and find it only in small bits. But it takes forever to reload stuff, right? So um, it happened to me a few times where, you know, you shoot someone, you miss once and you hit them in the leg once and they're still coming at you. Maybe it's a clicker, right? And then all of a sudden, like you're stuck reloading and, and they're coming at you. And in most games, like you would think you have enough time to reload and get another shot off. In this game, it's like, holy crap, all of a sudden that clicker is just on top of you and if your health was low enough, then you'd be dead. And that felt like incredibly realistic for one. Like, it'd be tough to, you know, this isn't like Doom Eternal where your reload is just like, and and then you're off, right? Like, the extreme opposite of that where um, it's just, it's incredibly cumbersome. Even as like a small Ellie, um, the reloading and like people converging on you just super scary and like a good, the whole survival loop of it of having to craft and that plays into that eventually you can get larger magazines and stuff to you know alleviate some of that but that part of it worked really well for me specifically for level design there's there's one point on your way i think to the aquarium is ellie um when you're first trying to steal a boat and you're brought into this this section there's a bunch of wolves and you can go underwater um and explore um it was already mentioned you can go inside and outside of different areas whereas this area was you know you can dive underwater and then sneak up behind someone after submerging or whatever um and that was that was just another cool level and then it gives you like the, the tool tip or whatever in the loading screen like go underwater to sneak attack enemies and it's like, okay well yeah duh you didn't have to tell me but um that level i thought was really well laid out and cool Let's tackle the narrative now. We're going to be going through some story beats. Uh, it's going to be less of me calling on everybody individually to give their uh, thoughts on it and you know just chiming in whenever we feel it's something we want to specifically talk about and mention our interpretations of. We'll start with the beginning of the game. Obviously, it starts with Joel and Tommy uh, doing their own little recon mission and then coming back to Jackson, which is one of the coolest shots in the game where you see Jackson as a whole with the sunset behind him. It's a really beautiful shot. Um, and obviously Joel goes to Ellie's room, um, and then I'm just trying to go through what we're going to be talking about. We go into the specifics, and obviously you're introduced to Dina after talking to Jesse and finding out that he was once with Dina, and now there's this weird conflict relationship. It's not really a love triangle, but it's like a love line, I guess, uh, where Dina's in the middle. Um, and I, I guess I want to start off by saying it's really cool that we got to see Ellie in a more mature 
relationship situation with Dina. We've seen, you know, Ellie handle, you know, attraction and, and being gay, but seeing it in, a, in an, an environment in which she's now growing into an adult and figuring that space out and navigating it, as well as realizing that, you know, Ellie's a three-dimensional character, and despite her being a badass for all intents and purposes, she's just like any other person and is nervous to talk to Dina. I think Dina's so cool and, you know, doesn't think that she'd hold up to her and what does she have to offer her? And it's like, Ellie, you're the best. Like, what are you doing? Like, there's no reason why Dina shouldn't like you. So I thought that was really great. Um, Jesse, uh, I know some people really love him. Uh, a friend of the show, Michael Ruiz, really <laughs> enjoys Jesse. Uh, mm-hmm. I liked him. I, I think he is, his death, which we'll get to later, kind of cuts his character short for me um, in terms of I never got to the point where I actually really loved Jesse. It was like I'm starting to warm up to him, and then it kind of is taken away, which makes it even more heartbreaking. Um, but, yeah, introducing us to these new characters is great, and then seeing – Something that comes full circle at the end of the game in which you don't know where exactly Ellie and Joel's relationship sits specifically because you don't know what you know what happened, but you don't know what specifically happened, like the conversations they had, right? Uh, and knowing that there's some kind of weird divide between them, despite him, you know, teaching her guitar and all that. I, I guess I just want to know at the beginning of the game how all of that hits you guys in terms of the new characters and where Ellie and Joel's relationship currently sits with uh, between them. This was all like prime like what naughty dog is best at right is creating characters and relationships and making it believable and authentic and yeah this was all just like all a great example of of that and how good they're at that of like this could easily have been so cringy and terrible like most developers would not even be able to come close to making this feel as realistic as it was right um granted like i said this is what naughty dog has been doing so they have more experience in this but um like it, it all worked like all the new characters like Jackson as a town, um, the whole thing with Seth, um, it all felt super authentic to me. And I was, I'm totally bought in at this point, which obviously helped set the tone for the game. So, yeah, I, th- I thought they did a really good job of introducing, you know, Dina, Owen, all of those characters. I thought that they were well thought out. Um, seeing Jesse, even Manny, like there was a lot mm-hmm. of information given. Um, the, the only problem with the side characters is for me, I thought that they cut them all, all off at the knees at some point throughout the story and didn't go like give the payoff on the development they 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 i was invested in a lot of these characters and then something happened or something occurred whether they be written out of the rest of the story or they died and then i it just didn't feel like there was a payoff afterwards after i felt invested yeah i mean there is a point to be made that like dina's pretty strong throughout the first half of the game in terms of getting to know her and then obviously you're going through abby's story so you wouldn't have that but even towards the end of the game i don't think dina gets a full like enough of a full picture for herself, uh, especially with like, the house, you know, scene and everything. Um, and I, to your point, too, like I at the at the theater with Abby or with uh, with Dina. Give me like a, a five minute playthrough of like somebody trying to break in. That'd have been awesome. Well, and that's the point, too, is once they hit the theater, Dina kind of becomes irrelevant because she's they find out she's pregnant, obviously. And then she's just relegated to being an animation in the corner of the room at that point, which is kind of frustrating. Yeah. Um, Max, did you have anything to add to this, or do you want to move on? No, yeah, I did. Um, As far as the beginning goes, I, at least I had followed everything so closely, I understood that the very beginning of the game took place after that E3 demo. And this kind of plays into the the marketing, you know, fake-out that they did, but I knew where the game was starting was after events that I had seen in context of something else. And so 
I was trying to think, well, how would this feel to someone who doesn't know exactly what had occurred the night before at this dance with the kiss and all of this stuff? And they did storytelling that at least I recognized or realized from God of War uh, back in 2018, I think is when God of War came out, where in God of War it never cuts away from Kratos and Atreus or Kratos in general. It's, uh, you know, the one the whole time. So any narrative that happens outside of it has to happen through dialogue between characters. And you get that with, like, Jesse talking about. So Jesse fills you in on the events of the night before from what he heard in Rumors. And I thought that set up the world in kind of a believable way of... I thought it was kind of funny, actually, that the dance is one of the final scenes in the game. Yeah. Which you would think, if you had been following the game before, it would have been earlier on in the story. And I just... I like that way of storytelling. They did it through dialogue. And it wasn't, you know, following one person all the way through. You know, they cut to other people and there's context and things like that. But the world building and storytelling they did, I thought, was pretty strong. And they do that through the beginning. As far as the companion characters like Jesse and Manny specifically, I think they're both just meant to be easy and likable, wholesome people. And then when they die, you get really bummed out. Uh, Just like in a TV show, not necessarily of a a red wedding caliber type thing because you were invested in some more of those characters than just that. But there's, you know... It was like, ah, that sucks. I liked them. There wasn't anything, quote, wrong with them. You know, Jesse, my friend's problems are my problems. Like, he's just a wholesome guy that just gets cut short. And Manny, the same way. You like Manny. Manny's just a bro. He's chilling. He's cool. He's good with a gun. Oh, dang. He just gets his head blown off. And I think that's kind of... I feel like they focused on a core set of characters, and that was Abby, Owen, Mel, Ellie, Tommy, Dina... And the rest they used to explore stuff within those characters. So some people did get cut short, and which sucked because Jesse was cool. And I like Manny. Yeah. And, um, what was the guy's face got cut? He was a jerk. I didn't like him. I was glad Diego? when he died. No. Uh, no. I don't remember what his name was. <laughs> exactly. Um, He's a jerk. But yeah, deaths, I like the way they started. To the deaths, though, I do think that there's... Uh, Manny gets killed by Tommy, right? Which we'll get to later about Tommy yeah. and his That's dance with death wild. like several mm. times. Um, and then uh, Jesse gets That's one of the Abby. best scenes in the entire game. I love that that whole whole run through that part with Tommy and and them. I thought it was fantastic. Oh, him as the, the sniper. sniping. Yep, <laughs> yeah. yep. Ah, uh, it was so. It it didn't dawn on me until he was actually shooting at me that that was the sniper at the marina yeah. that Jesse left for earlier. And when yeah. that hit me, I was like, oh snap. When he grabs uh, you and you have to push him, it was like, oh, no, oh, that's Tommy. And then I'm, yeah. like, I'm watching him fall. I'm like, no, Tommy, don't fall. <laughs> um, let's get into Abby's introduction. So obviously we're introduced to this girl waking up in this cabin. If you watch any of the marketing material before the game release, you realize that that's the same cabin that looks familiar uh, with the whole, what we assumed was going to be Dina being captured. Um, mm. And she wakes up. You see her go in, talk to this guy. You don't know who this guy is. They end up walking outside, and through their conversation, you find out they're hunting somebody in Jackson. And uh, if you don't live under a rock, you understand that they're likely talking about Joel at this point, uh, which immediately, I think, for a lot of people, gets them defensive towards this character because they're like, oh, these people want to hunt Joel, my Joel? That's not happening. Um, And I do think it was interesting to have you take over as Abby that early in the game, a character you don't know, a character you now know is hunting down somebody you love, and what exactly is going to happen from that. 
Um, what I will say is the amount of like zombie entertainment I watch and just stuff like in general, I kind of knew once we took over as her that it was probably going to lead to them running into Joel already knowing from Allie's perspective mm-hmm. that like, oh, they're, they haven't, you know, they're out doing their thing. I'm like, oh, I already know what's going to happen. I'm um, not saying it detracted from it necessarily, but it did leave it a little bit uh, predictable for me, um, which kind of is like, eh. Um, but I do like that they introduced her because it immediately starts having you think about like, well, if they're having me play as her now, this means that they're willing to have you play as somebody that is an alley. What's going to happen throughout the rest of the game, right? And for me, before we found out what ended up happening to Joel, I was like, maybe we do play as Joel in this game at some point. Like, maybe they are willing to let players play as other people that aren't necessarily Ellie. Because before that, I I assumed through this entire game, we were just going to play as Ellie the entire time. And then the moment they let you control Abby, I'm like, oh, never mind. That's completely not what's going to happen here. Um, how did you guys yeah. feel about Abby's introduction? Did you get defensive right away, like I did, once you found out that they were hunting down Joel? I... I was I was taking notes as I played, um, and as soon as you play as Abby, I I had a feeling in my gut, and call it denial before then, but when they were talking about hunting someone, I was just like, it can't be Joel. Like Joel's gonna be okay. He's in in my head. He's in screenshots and other scenes later. So like Joel's cool. He'll be fine. Um, but in in my notes, I wrote uh, dual protagonist game. What is it? What does a dual protagonist game mean? Does Joel die? And then about an hour later, Joel died. And I was like, crap. <laughs> um, but they kind of... Naughty Dog has done this before where you play as a different character, uh, specifically in The Last of Us Part 1, where Winter and Joel's fate is kind of in question at that point. Yeah. And then you take over as Ellie. And they kind of... They did that same thing where you think you're going to play as Ellie and they just moved it to the very beginning of the game. And I think it, it, it plants the seed for playing as Abby and then how you're supposed to feel. Because in the beginning of the game you are supposed to hate Abby. I mean, that's the point. It spurs you to go to Seattle and all this stuff. So I thought her introduction did well to plant the seed for playing as her in the back half. Um, I don't think it would have worked if you didn't play as her and you just kind of stumbled across it and then they did a cut halfway through and you played as her. I think they needed that early on as far as the way they actually designed the game and told their story. Yeah. Yeah. I like this a lot too. Um, the way that in, I kind of, Jared, I was with you where like I kind of start to see it happening. I was like, oh, well, we know that Joel and Tommy are out on a, uh, you know, they're on an outpost run or whatever they called it. Um, and then obviously, like, I, I knew immediately. Th- that was the interesting thing where I was actually like media blackout. I'm, I watched like the, the dance trailer um, from E3, but that was it. Um, so I didn't get the fake outs. You know, the uh, I've seen screenshots of Joel later. He's fine. You know, I didn't get that. I had always assumed Joel was good as dead. Like, few minutes into this game i was even more sure but i was like joel's gonna fucking die like i just knew it and so yeah when you take over as abby and they're hunting someone i was like yep they're looking for joel like who like without any context in this world has done something where people are traveling that far to kill you know a single person like yeah and so then but as i got into it and they got closer i was like oh god and like i got just got so anxious and like ah, i don't want this to happen and then when he helps her and the look on her face of like shock because she almost just died but then also like and, she, and then he says, like, I'm Joel, this is Tommy. And, like, she's realizing it. Like, you can see that look on her face. It's done super well of, like, holy shit, I'm, I'm alive, one, but this is who I've been looking for. And I just fell right into his lap. You know what I mean? This is perfect. And then when she says, like, oh, I got my friends up at this mansion. And it's like, oh, God. Oh, God, no. Like, I could see where it was going, and it was terrifying and, and awful. Um, 
yeah. So that was see. I they think that was well set done. Her, yeah, they had to set Abby up this way. I mean, mm-hmm. you had to have something that was so strong that would cause Ellie to want vengeance. Because if they didn't, and if it was one of those side characters, to Max's point, th- it would her anger and her vengeance wouldn't have been strong enough for her to f- pursue three days worth of this. So, mm-hmm. like, it had to be Joel, and it had to be, it, and you had to not know. See, uh, to my point of of playing as Abby, you almost have as Ellie. You have to not know uh, Abby's backstory because you have to hate her. Which, like, all you see, all you know of her is she right. killed Joel and she hit him with a golf club. So you hate her, and then you get her backstory, and you're like, oh well, you know, now it makes sense because he killed him, and so like that now now I understand, you know. So, but you you had to have all of that out of context in order to be angry at her for at least a short period of time to make that first ten hours work. Mm-hmm. Um, go ahead. I just, to the point of, uh, you know, you, it had to be Joel to spark her vengeance. Back to my denial, I just thought maybe... <laughs> my original guess was that maybe Dina and her were mm. sexually assaulted, and that's how someone got uh, pregnant, because we yeah, knew someone yeah, was pregnant. Yeah, that, totally like, that would have totally made sense. That would be hateful and very intense. Sure, and, sure. But, cause, and that was probably also me trying to protect Joel from <laughs> the fact that... I had just thought he would be in the game and stuff. So it was part denial and part I was trying to figure out how they do it. But really they went for the the frankly obvious thing because it, it aligns you emotionally with Ellie. Because in general, you we should, like Joel, we just spent, we played the first game as him. He's a character that you connect with on some level. Um, so it had to be Joel and it had to be out of order, like you said, for it to actually work the way they designed the narrative. Did it? Did it? Uh, everybody stand still. That moment he he said, "Y'all act like you've you've heard of us." As soon as yeah. he said that, I'm like, "Oh shit!" Oh, I just, like yeah. it literally, like my heart just sunk. I'm like, so mm-hmm. the, "It's going down right now." That's because they remi- do. And then oh. it reminds me of the moment. Uh, spoilers for Game of Thrones. We already mentioned Red Wedding. Uh, it reminds me of the moment when uh, Rob Stark looks around and notices people wearing armor, oh, and yeah. he's like, "Oh, I know what's about to go." And it's the same yep. thing when you hear. Oh, you guys look like you've heard of me before, and the room gets silent, and you can cut the tension with the knife, and it's just like, yeah. and then it immediately cuts to Abby being like, "Yeah, we do," and then her shotgunning his knee, which is like very sudden. I uh, jumped back. I literally yeah. jumped back. I was like, "What?" Like it, it totally caught me off. Oh man, that was such a grueling moment. And just watching somebody forced to watch someone they love die in front of them in such an awful and gruesome manner. Um, so. We'll get to this later, but obviously this game, by the end of it, you are meant to see Abby and Allie as these two people who were pushed to be monsters based on circumstance and things that happened to them, and they're both not naturally that way, right? They're kind of pushed to be these violent, murderous monsters. And to me, by the end of the game, I still felt for Allie, and I learned to feel for Abby, and the game kind of makes you want to feel that the whole time Allie and Joel were monsters, but I've never felt as if Allie was a monster up until she had to do what she had to do in this game. Like, through the entire first game, there's no reason to believe she's a monster. She's not an adult. Like, Joel is, you know, the guy pursuing this and fighting for vengeance, and obviously he's the one who took her from the hospital. Um, Watching him die was awful and, and, and terrible, but I do think it was a worthy enough cause to lead towards us having to learn about Abby and understanding and being empathetic and you know if the same thing would have happened to Ellie in which Joel died before Abby's father did but Abby's father was the person who caused that you could totally see Ellie going on this tour of vengeance to hunt him down and kill him you know so they kind of have that going for both of them 
Um, we can talk a little bit more about Joel's death, but I wanted to mention real quick, we have quite a few topics to hit here, and I don't want to run too long. So what's going to happen is I want to cover the last three for sure. So between uh, on our own outline, between four and nine, find which one you want to talk about the most, and we'll each present one of them. We're not going to go through sure. all of them. Um, I, I guess before we move on, uh, I'll choose the first one. Did anybody have anything else to add to uh, Joel's death? For me, you know, the marketing fake out worked. I thought... I wasn't under the impression, like you, Max, that he was necessarily going to be around for the entire game. I completely anticipated him dying sooner than I thought he was. But I did get faked out because I did think it was going to be a thing where either Dina was sexually assaulted or captured. And I believe that scene that we saw right in the cabin of Ellie going downstairs and rushing to her. Um, so they got me. <laughs> I think they got a lot of people. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to mention in terms of Joel's death and maybe Ellie's reaction to it and the whole experience? I just wanted to add one thing. This this is part of one of the narrative things that, that had me kind of uh, just confused a little bit was Joel walking into that scenario and not sizing it up prior to walking into it. I get that he'd been in a community for, you know, what is it, four or five years, and, you know, you kind of let your guard down a little bit. But, j like, you, you don't get rid of those uh, those things that he did in his past and let that guard down that much that he walks in without sizing up. And I think it, because it was Abby and because – she was a, a female who was the age of Ellie. He may have let his guard down thinking, you know, this is a young girl. I can see a lot of Ellie in her. I trust her. But had, it, had the scenario been switched, maybe it was a younger guy. I don't know. Like, I just feel like he, he, he really let everything down here and he didn't walk into it. He walked into a room not knowing the scenario with only two people versus like eight or nine people. A basement, I, nonetheless, not like a top yeah. level room either. Yeah, yeah. it just it just yeah. didn't jive with me, and it didn't jive with his character. I know that listening to Troy Baker talk to Neil, they argued a lot about the scenario and how how you know why would he do it, and it doesn't make a lot of sense, and they were kind of fighting a lot. But it just to me, and I, I mean, I'm not on a high horse. Like I get you know people change, yeah. and maybe he did let his guard down, but it just didn't really sit well with me because I didn't. It wasn't believable to me. It wasn't well, the I character mean, you had come to learn, right? No, I yeah. thought about this too, and. Yeah, it's a little bit like, oh, he just saved her, and they were being chased by, like, a horde, and it's like... But even still, it's like, he fucked up. You know what I mean? Like, at, at that point, it had calmed down, and they just... Well, actually, no, the horde chased them right into the fence. But yeah. even still, like, yeah, he walked into the basement, and, may, you know, maybe years ago, he wouldn't have done it quite so willingly. But, like, either way, like, he fucked up. Like, people screw up. Like, I, in hindsight, I, he would obviously say, like, I screwed up, right? So it's just... Well, yeah, obviously, in hindsight. I, To me, it was... I hadn't really questioned it, and maybe that was – I hadn't looked at it close enough. But to me, I thought Joel seemed different from the get-go because they offered to help her. Like, Joel yeah. in the past, especially in the first sure. game, would not have helped yeah. someone. But, like, clearly the five years in Jackson has softened him to a point. Like, Jackson clearly is a community that does try to help strangers and things like that. Even Ellie and Dina talk about that a little bit and how they Jackson is different than Seattle with the, the Wolves. But he, he clearly was softer, and that doesn't necessarily justify his... He should have had some sort of instinct, and maybe we have that instinct because we can... We feel that outside of the context. Like, it does feel really bad. There is dread <laughs> that whole time. But he clearly was softer, and mm -hmm. um, ultimately, I guess, to his detriment. So that was kind of a bummer. As far as really quick about just the, the marketing fake-out, they, they uh, this is Metal Gear Solid 2 all yeah. over again, which I could see Metal Gear Solid 2 happening just in... 
I wasn't following the, that game back in the early 2000s so closely, but you know they only showed the tanker in that game, and then really you played as Raiden the whole time, and that just that still blows people's minds when they play these games unspoiled. And I don't think I can't think of another game that has had this level of player fake out of who you play as in the narrative and where it goes. Besides that, maybe you guys can, but I props to them, at least for people who weren't intentionally looking up the leaks or had it spoiled for them, unfortunately. Props to them for essentially keeping half the game completely hidden. Mm-hmm. Real quick, that's a good point. Uh, moving forward real quick, did any of you have anything spoiled before you played this game? I was lucky enough to go in without knowing a single damn thing. Nope, no, I, was I was blind. Good. Nope, yeah. I, my mute filters were strong. My, my mm-hmm. wife's name is Abby. <laughs> when, uh, when the game leaked, my uh, friend Logan, he told me, he looked up the spoilers. He uh, he was curious. I get, he, couldn't, he couldn't be satisfied. Ah, um, Logan. Waiting for it, yeah. <laughs> and so he told me words to mute, and he said Abby. And I thought, he always messes with me. I was like, really? I have to mute <laughs> my wife's name my wife's for name, a yeah. month? And he's like, yes, you do. Because uh, I didn't even know that was her, the character's name. I kind of pieced it together since they were so vague about it when she was revealed. But for a month, I didn't see my wife's tweets. Uh, I explained to her that morning. I was like, I'm sorry. I'm not going to see anything you tweet for a month. So, <laughs> Yeah, for a while, wow. we thought that that was Ellie's mom. Yeah. <laughs> the way they played it, too, because we didn't know the Seraphites were like a modern-day threat. They, they seemed like something that might have manifested in the early days of um, the infected, right, appearing. So, um so the thing I want to talk about most before we get into the final three big things, and I don't know if this is on anybody else's list, but I wanted to focus on Lev. Um, this is mm-hmm. probably my personal biggest criticism with uh, the narrative of the game. And so I want to preface by saying I'm all for inclusion, and I think that we need to be able to have every type of walk of life featured in video games so everyone feels as if it is normal because it is, right? Um, we've talked about this before. We had uh, Alyssa from Dual Shockers come on the show and talk about how black representation in video games is poor and um, black ca- uh, customization options are even worse in video games. With this, obviously, Lev being transgender, to me, it, it came off as forced inclusion. Um, obviously, one of the most pivotal points in meeting Lev is the use of his dead name, which is Lily. It's when uh, Abby's navigating, I believe, the skyscraper with him, right, to get up to the, mm-hmm. the bridge and you hear the Seraphites say, Lily, Lily. And this is kind of a tough thing in the transgender community of using somebody's dead name. It's, it's a tough thing. And I want to also preface this by saying Neil Druckmann has come out and said that they worked with consultants, transgender consultants, to make sure everything came off the right way and everything. And obviously those consultants don't necessarily speak for the community at large. But it is something that's it's tough and it could come across in a way that wasn't intended. And another problem we tend to have with inclusion, and specifically with transgender characters, is that their whole reason for existing in whatever piece of entertainment you're uh, digesting is for them to suffer. And I did kind of feel that with Lev. Like, the crux of his character was that he was transgender and he was sent away from the island because of that and his family didn't love him and yada, yada, yada. And there was never really a point in which he was detached from that suffering throughout the entire game. There was points of levity with Avi that were removed from that but it just to me it felt like forced inclusion in a way that i didn't necessarily enjoy the entire time um and it seems like a point that a lot of people have been discussing and uh yeah i just 
wasn't fully on board with. I love Lev as a character personally. I'm just talking about the way that character was included throughout the narrative. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything. I, I didn't. I didn't feel like that. Um, back in E3 2018, when Lev, Yara, and ultimately Abby were revealed, it was actually that scene in the forest with the fire and the hanging and stuff. <laughs> and at the time, we knew Lev and Yara's names, and the actor who I don't have their name in front of me. Ian I Alexander. Ian Alexander. Thank you. <laughs> is a is a transgender person, and yeah, they. So in my head the character Lev was also transgender because of the situation with uh, Nadine in Uncharted 4. And there was a lot of controversy when she was revealed to be um, portrayed by Laura Bailey, so a white actress playing a black character. And so Nadine was a strong, tough lady who was really cool. And so there was that level of representation, but it wasn't represented by an actress or actor that looked like that person. And so in my head, Naughty Dog wasn't going to make the same mistake twice i think the character of nadine and her performance works in the game but i get that you know that part of it so i figured lev was a transgender character like that was just the way it was going to go so in my head it was just kind of that's who this person is so i didn't it didn't feel forced to me and maybe that's just because i spent so much time beforehand reading and looking and everything so to me lev was that was just who lev was and i i've more focused on the parallels between Abby and Lev and Joel and Ellie, it's a very similar dynamic intentionally of, you know, someone taking care of someone who's not their biological child and becoming a pair. And so to me, I didn't, I didn't think of it like that. Jerry, yeah, I think it's, it's, gonna it's be one of those things. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Don. Oh, yeah, I guess it's one of those things where um, representation um, takes a long time to get to a point of where it's, you know, perfect. Um, and there's like steps in the middle, basically, where even today, like, you know, tell me the, the best movie um, that's, you know, acted or directed by primarily like black people, where the point of the movie is not bad things happening to black people because they're black. When you do that, like there's very few, right? Because a lot of the best movies like that, that's a whole part of the plot. And that's, you know, that's maybe good things happen towards the end or whatever it is. But and so that's kind of a similar case here where like, yeah, bad things are happening to Lev because he's he's trans right and i think that that still has a lot of value um mostly for i for people like me who like i didn't even know what dead naming was i didn't even i mean i wouldn't have you know i wouldn't call someone by their old name but i didn't know it was like a huge problem and it can be triggering to people before this game so like i learned a lot you know from that and seeing that representation i'm sure even if it's not perfect um there are a lot of trans people who see this character in this game and think like okay this is this is good finally like there's a prominent character you know it's not a main character it's not as good as it we want to one day be but it's progress i guess um kind of the same problem i have with miles morales where i'm like why can't it why can't it just be spider-man 2 and it's miles morales why does it need to be a smaller game and he's a subtitle like just make him spider-man properly um but it's still progress right yeah, but that's a we- I guess that's a weird example because the first game's narrative focused on Peter, so I don't know. I I, I don't necessarily we'll have to see how that game to... plays out. We don't know yeah, about this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Anyways, it, this this the, was going to be the one that I selected, and it was based upon the fact that I forced. I thought that they forced the subjectivity of of transgender into the game to say that it was part of the game, as opposed to fully fleshing out exactly 
the basis of it. They they didn't really they, they talked about the scars and their beliefs, but they didn't really get into detail. Um, it was more through letters and reading, and uh, there was not even a closure for for Lev at all because the mother ha- was was dead by the time that you got to the house. So it was all about suffering, and it was like, okay, well, if we market it and say that we have a transgender character, um, that will buy. You know, I, I don't know. Like it just felt like they were pushing the issue because they had. Uh, it felt. But that's forced. better than not. Yeah, it felt. It, 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 I I appreciate that that it was brought into the game. I just don't think that they did it in a manner that ju- that there was justification for it. Um, at least through the back end of the story, like they needed to, to, to flush this out, and they needed to, then that then bring more of the scar part in, so that you can have more context on on what Lev had gone through and the and all of all of the things that were going on with him at at that point. You know what I mean? It just wasn't. It was very surface level stuff, and they should have gone farther into it if they were going to do it at all. Huh. Yeah, I. I get what you're coming from too, Dom, where you're saying that, you know, black movies that are directed by black directors often have portray the struggle of being black. Right. And that you, we, we don't really have any other examples. And part of that is due to, I think a lot of times when black directors do get the opportunity, they want to navigate a story in which they have experience with. And I, here's the thing. My problem isn't that Lev exists in this game. My problem is I don't think it was a fully fleshed out, arc for that character um and i do Agreed. think it, it felt a little bit like not che- checking boxes is a little bit too overcritical that's not what i'm trying to say it just it didn't come across as something i'd expect for naughty dog to do when they do this type of inclusion because they tend to pull it off so well that this one felt a little underbaked you know what i mean um i guess who knows? Maybe the way they that they dealt with El- with the day with the, the way they dealt with Ellie and how, wh- with what care that they dealt with that scenario, you know, and how they brought it into the game and how they spoke about it and how they let her character develop. I think the expectation level might have been that Lev might have gotten at least some of that, and it, I, to me, it didn't feel like it at all. Yeah, I'm so. I'm curious to that point of just Ellie because Ellie also has had a game, an expansion, and then a sequel and comics to explore her as a character, yeah. and Lev theoretically could get that same treatment. Yeah, and I'd be so. all for it. So cool. and they time. could nail it, and I'd be down. And retroactively, awesome. I could be like, okay, now I get it. But and we're sitting with just the experience of this game. You know what I mean? So that's right. all I have to go on. And have any of you played it a second time yet? I know it, it's a long game, and it just came out. But it has no chance. Has, <laughs> I have not. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. fine. Uh, one thing that I, I picked up on, kind of like uh, with a movie with like a big plot twist, and then you go back and you watch it the second time, and like all the flags pop up. There were multiple conversations um, while playing as Ellie from the Scars that referenced stuff with what was going on over there. But specifically, Yara and Lily, the first encounter with them, actually, they are talking about Lily and or Lev. But in their conversation, it was Lily of what uh, he had we done didn't know. and all that stuff. And yeah. it was that was cool coming back through the second time and seeing and realizing it and looking for those things because you know the full scope of the story. It, so I'm curious how Lev will expand beyond this first game if they decide to make more content surrounding it, whether it's a comic book or w- the TV show could also explore this. So, you know, there's a lot of potential. And none of this happens in a vacuum, right? Like, so Lev's narrative in the game doesn't happen solely in and of itself. Obviously, there's Abby's story going on in alleys. And I do think that pairing what happens with Lev 
next to Abby, who I feel a lot of, to Chris's point earlier in the podcast, where a lot of those things were drawn out for the sake of, I think, extending the length. Like, there's so much of Abby's thing where you can still get the empathy from it, but I do think a lot of that stuff was drug out, especially the island bit, um, which was also... Uh, worsened by the fact that I had half of Yara's character model on screen. Um, but because a lot of those felt elongated and stretched out, it felt like they could have taken more time with Lev, you know what I mean, for me, and replaced some of those moments where I felt like the pacing was bad and they were stretching things out and focused more on fully fleshing out Lev. I think those two in and of itself battle with each other because I'm like, oh, well, why did this feel so stretched out? And I'm feeling like I'm not getting enough from Lev's narrative if they would have maybe focused on that more. And to Chris's point too, the whole mother thing is like, I get it's supposed to be about despair and you know things happening and everything's not gonna get fully resolved all the time. But I do think that adds to the fact that like Lev never really comes around full circle and Lev's defining characteristic is that he's trans. You know what I mean? And that's kind of like all that character is for the most part. Um, but like you said though, I could feel totally different once they flesh it out and we hear more and what I will say, I applaud them for getting a trans actor to play the character. That's awesome. I'm glad that this character was included in the game. I just think the way it was portrayed in the game and utilized wasn't necessarily the best it could have been. That's also coming from somebody who isn't trans, so take my opinion with a grain of salt as well. So that's that. Uh, so, Chris, you said you wanted to touch on that too, so that's good. Yep. Dom, what did you want to touch on out of these other topics? Uh, yikes. I guess one thing has more to do with the ending, so I'll hang on that. Um, I guess I would say, I guess it's a smaller piece, but it kind of relates Lev and with the Scar's religion and that. Um, one thing I thought that was really cool about Lev was how, even in spite of, you know, how his people were treating him, he still held on to the parts of the religion that, you know, were, were positive and were really cool. And, and, and not, not only that, but used them to help Abby and and himself get through that their whole mission right so i think like i'm kind of like you jared where like i don't i'm like religion like it's just all like get the fuck out of my face with all that like i don't want any of it because I, I hate all of it where there's you know obviously good parts of it um and i it, it really it always amazes me when i see like someone who is who is gay for example and still really religious and they find the good in that religion and how to you know make make the best navigate of the it for themselves right yeah. exactly instead of just you know throwing the whole thing under the bridge which is would be really easy to do and justified but lev is is similar in that sense where it really impresses me how he's able to still use the good parts of the religion and get positive out of it so I thought well, it's really cool. cool it's cool that he's able to he has his faith right and he has his beliefs in the core values of what he thinks that you know the seraphite should stand for and to your point, he doesn't let their hate and destruction and savagery get in the way of that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. And it is something we see realistically in real life where you have these hate groups oh, and yeah. these formed religions that are terrible. But when you meet people who understand the core values of what that religion is trying to communicate, they're fantastic people. And oftentimes they're some of the some of the most upset at what the religion has turned to in general, you know? Right. Um, and I do like the whole idea of the, the martyr and... Uh, once her passing, we t- touched on this earlier, of how once she passes, the whole ideals of the Seraphites changes based on what they want to do right now as opposed to what it was founded on, you know? So, mm-hmm. yeah. About you, about that in general, it's it kind of goes into this cycle of violence and the conflict between the wolves and the scars. It seems to be this never-ending struggle over 
as Owen put it, land he didn't care about. It's just this, you stay on your island and I stay on, you know, on the inland. And, like, yeah. how there was a truce at some point. And, you know, if you read the notes and stuff of Isaac's uh, coming to power in that open area of Seattle, it's actually talking about Isaac coming to power within the wolves. And in in his heart, I would like to think Isaac really does want the fighting to stop. He doesn't see a tr- another truce as an option because someone will blow it, likely. But, you know, both sides, on some level, at least the groups of people, do want the fighting to stop and Isaac unfortunately thinks an all out assault is the answer to that um, but we kind of see that the oh my computer's going to die because I forgot to plug it in <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll be right back um, so I don't uh, lose this I'm sorry <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go off of that did you guys like Isaac I'm going to give uh, I thought Isaac was the worst written character in this game Despite him being acted by Jeffrey Wright, who's a fantastic actor, I hated Isaac's character. It's like the blindest, most Walking Dead villain character. Uh, I, I just didn't like I, the character. Didn't work for me at all. I thought it was probably the least interesting, fully developed character in either of the Last of Us games. I just it didn't work for me at all. Big lead yeah, up he was, to Little he was kind of a tool. Yeah, it was a big lead up. Like, when are we gonna see Isaac? When are we gonna see it? like every time we went into a building, it was like, is Isaac here? And you'd think that you were gonna see Isaac, and then it was no payoff, and then you get Isaac. And it's what less than ten minutes of screen time. He's killed very easily. I guess that's you well, know compared is he to killed? everybody else. Yeah. Is he killed? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he is. He seems shot in the shoulder. I mean, uh, Tom, well, Tom looked well, like he got shot in the head and he lived. So I don't know. I'm not. Yeah, gonna yeah, say yeah. That, that, that's true. But I mean, he was third, he was third in line into power. Like this guy wasn't even like the first or the second choice. He was like the third choice. So like, I, I, anything he says, I kind of take with a grain of salt. Yeah, I, I just didn't work for me at all. <laughs> I may, I may have missed what you said. I apologize. Oh, I was just saying, I, was, I asked if anybody, I was asking if every, anybody liked Isaac, if that character worked for them. And I said, you know, Jeffrey Wright's a fantastic actor. I just felt that it was such an underdeveloped Walking Dead style villain. And it was probably my least favorite character in either of the Last of Us games. It just, his character didn't work for me at all. I just, this is so laissez-faire, bland, blah, zombie trope. You know, I don't know. It just didn't work for me. To, yes. Very short screen. They stroke. Both um, Isaac and Emily, which I don't even think they name her in the game, but she has an avatar on PSN. Um, in the hanging scene with Abby, the woman that is trying to cut her stomach open, her name is Emily. I think she possibly, I haven't finished reading the art book, but I believe she might be the leader of like the really bad scars. But I think <laughs> both leaders on both sides like kind of re- are red herrings. Uh, Isaac's in charge of everything like they're the big bad but really they're not like the main enemy or focus they're sort of like David but on a much more underdeveloped level because David was you know you spent a whole chunk of The Last of Us Part 1 with him um, Isaac I just thought was a, a, a old leader who was tired of fighting and apparently he was a Navy SEAL before and so anyway I thought it was interesting but yeah like Isaac could have done so much more, but I think he was more of a red herring than, or was it called? Is red herring the right term? Red herring's right, yeah. It's something yeah. you supposedly Just believe that is the main priority, but ends up being not. It's a distraction from the actual purpose or point. Right. Yeah. Um, 
I guess we'll hop into. I'm going to combine the two Ali fights, uh, Ali Abby fights. We can talk about that last. Um, but I want to talk about Ali leaving Dina and the baby. So we have this scene where you're presented to this nice little farmhouse where Dina and Ali are living their best life. They have little JJ, who's Jesse and Dina's baby. And everything's going good. Everything seems happy. You're like, oh, is this game going to end on a happy note? This is weird. And then slowly you start realizing that something's going to change. And you get to the barn scene where Allie's trying to put the sheep away. Or goats. I think they're sheep. Uh, sheep. Sheep, yeah. And then the door closes. And in the darkness, she has these PTSD flashbacks. And it unravels a whole can of worms. The point I wanted to talk on specifically, and you guys are free to talk about any point in this whole section of the game, uh, Ali's motivation and realization for leaving, right? When she gets to the point after the discussion with Tommy of him wanting to go out and find Abby because he heard a rumor about her being in Santa Barbara. Um, for me, the what I interpreted from it is at that point, Ali obviously wants a vengeance, but I do think that she's come to terms with the fact that she either needs to kill Abby or get killed. Um, and I, I think she, at that point, is comfortable with the idea of dying. And this kind of loops back into... The conversation she has with Joel where she's like I was supposed to die on that table right and I do think there's this weird thing with Ellie where she feels as if everything she's doing now in terms of living isn't the life she should have or would have or wanted to live and I think she feels guilt for that right survivor's guilt and at the point when her wanting to leave Dina it's not that she doesn't love Dina or want to be with her but Ellie comes to the fact that she's either gonna die trying to aspire to, you know, avenge Joel's death or she's going to actually avenge it. And until she does one of those things, she's not going to be happy or at peace. So I thought that was really powerful. Mm. Going the whole time hunting Abby down, going through the rattlers and everything, I was prepared for Allie to die. I was prepared for Allie to kill Abby. Um, and we'll get into with the fight stuff, but I couldn't have been pushing Square harder when I was fighting with Allie because... I wanted her to live, and it's not that I didn't empathize with Abby. I did, and I understand understood her character, but never, none of that took away from the fact that I wanted Ellie to be happy, and I understood her perspective and leaned with that more. Um, but yeah, I just I thought it was powerful for me understanding that you know, Ellie came to terms with the fact that she would likely die hunting Abby. Like Abby's, Abby built herself to be a murderer, right? That's the whole reason she has the the body that she does is because she didn't want to be a weak survivor she wanted to be able to live life on her own terms and kill the people that wronged her and i i felt that a ellie knew that she was likely going to die like she can't hang with abby in a hand-to-hand -hand fight you know what i mean no chance um so yeah i thought that was really powerful how did you guys feel about the whole dina and ellie house scene i thought it was cool with the duality between abby and owen and then ellie and dina because it was basically the same thing it was both of them basically saying i can't i have to i have to take care of this so they had to leave the the part that bothered me was that they held on to this vengeance for so long like people in reality hold on to vengeance for a period of time but for the to be able to hold on to it for years and months and just have it build up like it just felt like the motivation for either one of them to kill the other would have waned enough to like even with survivor's guilt to to maybe see the forest uh you know beyond the beyond the streets you know what i mean like to, to not want to just go after the other person at, at that point it's like i have a life like why would i put myself out there and go through this all over again like this is going to take away from everything that i have currently i mm. i i just didn't got i i appreciated the vengeance part 
in the beginning part of the story, even to the point where they were in the theater. I got where Abby was coming from. I got why Ellie went after her. I, I got all of that. But when there's separation by two or three years and all of this is sparked by Tommy hearing a rumor, it's like, man, that's, that's a pretty weak and inc- convenient story to come along in order to, ca- huh. to pull her away. That, that's how I felt. Um, but, I, I mean, I, pr- I appreciate where they went with the story and why they did it. I just thought that it was very, very thin on, on, that, on that particular note. Yeah. For, and so I was, for, for Abby, it wasn't – by the time that – after the theater, she's I think she's done with Ellie and she could care less. And that's why her yep. and Lever obviously focusing on finding uh, the Catalina Firefly hideout. With Ellie, for me, I didn't read it as necessarily a vengeance thing. I read it more as the vengeance from the PTSD right okay i think that's what caused that i think that it was happening so frequently that it eventually got to her um and it wasn't just straight up hate and vengeance it was that caused by the ptsd that's what i got too jared was like she wanted like all these flashbacks to end and like and and i can't i don't have anything close to like that and i you know and she had to go through so much um so i was like super like even though i was like yelling at the screen like don't do that i knew she was gonna go back again but i was just like don't do this but i got it like she just wants this to be over with and maybe a little bit of what you said jared of like she's fine if this she dies trying because it's just she can't you know live how she was even though like i'm sitting here all you know nice and cozy in my non-ps ptsd head or whatever of like like don't do it like you're stupid this isn't gonna help you but i i got why she wanted to try um but i was i was glad that she figured it out at the very end like okay actually killing abby isn't gonna help me and she ultimately like lets her go and like what was a very conveniently drawn out fight scene right we're also like we're also talking about a world trigger. where you can't take medication for mental health issues mm-hmm. you right. can't really drink to cover it There's in not alcoholism really, probably not a therapist really... close by yeah yeah that it, makes sense yeah so but if it is if it is solely vengeance i do hear you out though uh chris on it being a little like unrealistic but I guess, like we said, to me, it wasn't so much about that. It was the PTSD and the inner demons and the survivor's guilt, right? And all of that kind of culminating. Sure. Um, but yeah. But if you don't buy it, you don't buy it. And that's that's not your yeah. fault. That's their fault for not selling it, it to you. Right? Yeah, it's a very valid criticism. I didn't even think yeah. about it. It's very valid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to me, it was, it, it was her solution to stop the nightmares. But it also is in, like, it mirrors Abby journey almost exactly which i think was the point you know the gap between abby's father's death and finding killing joel is five years and so jj let's say jj's two i don't know how old babies are two maybe three um (laughs) i don't know how old babies are (laughs) i love time (laughs) time has passed right years have passed podcast (laughs) um time has clearly passed significant years and when abby they found the fireflies at the gate and abby heard found tommy in a town in jackson so not even joel found joel's brother so there was that slim chance and it was a you know the line was like you know it's a rumor i gotta see it through mm-hmm. and then that gets spit back at her when owen tries to oh, send barber for the fireflies yeah. And the same thing happens to Ellie when Tommy comes to her and says, a woman built like an ox down in Santa Barbara living out of a boat. You know, it's to them, there's some sort of hope that the answer to the thing that they, the problem, this, these nightmares and this PTSD can be 
solved, they think, through violence. And killing this other person is done wrong, serving, you know, justice. But we see with Abby, that's not the case. Abby's friendships, you know, specifically with Mel, who was Mel, Owen, and Abby all in the past had a solid friendship. But through the acts of Jackson, it divided them besides this relationship triangle and the baby and stuff. Like, there's a clear division in just relationships with people. Abby still has these nightmares and all this stuff. And I think that's part of why Abby seeks redemption through Yara and Lev. Selfishly at first and then actually grows to care for Lev, obviously, over time. And Ellie realizes it in the final fight. It's just like, I, I can't, it doesn't, it's not going to fix it. It's not going to make him go away. It's not going to make any of this go away. Yeah. And so it wasn't like, a, oh, I have to kill Abby. It was, like, I have to do something to make this stop. Um, and just that drive, she's, it's like the moth on her arm, you know, a moth drawn to a flame. No matter what, it's going to go to that thing until it eventually dies. And in Ellie's case, she loses everything. We're running a little long, so I wanted to do the uh, real quick our, the, our thoughts on the final confrontation. You could also mention the first fight that Abby and Ellie have, but I wanted to focus on the last fight. For me, I've mentioned multiple times throughout that I was mashing that square button so hard to, to kill uh, Abby as Ellie. And what I ended up realizing is, you know, by the end of it, Abby ends up going her separate way with Lev, and Ellie's left sitting there in the shallow ocean, just coming to terms with everything, right? And to me, it was interesting because I so wholeheartedly wanted Ellie to kill Abby to get vengeance. And by the time she left, I felt empty and unsatisfied. Well, then that made me reflect on, like, why am I feeling unsatisfied? Like, why did I want her to kill Abby so badly? And it, it was really interesting, you know, inner thought of this whole direction of why I got to the point in which I felt so heavily for Allie, despite going through Abby's journey, despite feeling empathetic, despite understanding where she came from. Um, I just wanted it to end for Allie because I care about that character so much. And by the end, I think I felt as unsatisfied and confused as Ellie was, you know, sitting there wondering, why did I even want to do this? I had everything going well for myself. Like, what was the whole point of it? It was all for nothing. Um, yeah, I thought it was very interesting and powerful. Um, I have heard complaints that it was similar, I guess, to uh, some other boss fights in Naughty Dog games. Um, but obviously, I have really little experience with that, so it's not really a gripe for me. But yeah, I thought it was really powerful by the end of it and had me thinking about my own motivations as a player of the video game so it was just I, tough it was just okay. draining like emotionally that thing mm -hmm. that, a lot of the game was at points but that final fight i was just like i was just it was just filled me with dread like i don't want to do this i don't want to be here this is mm -hmm. just like sucked the life out of me um which it, i guess a lot of like a lot of the game did that and made me feel like what sounds like a bad emotion but it's something that's i guess i don't know I don't really know what the word cathartic means, but that's the closest thing I've heard other people say that can kind of explain it where, you know, maybe you want to watch a sad movie or like listen to certain music that is terrible emotionally, but it helps you like work through the way you feel about it. I don't know. But yeah, the, the ending, the ending especially like kind of fucked me up. <laughs> I wish you would have had an opportunity to be Abby. I wish they would have given you no chance to either you choose to be Ellie or you choose to be Abby in this scenario. Uh, like mm -hmm. when when we were fighting, I wanted it. I just wanted Ellie to die. 
At that point, <laughs> I was just like, I'll be honest, I was over it. I was like, I was over it as much as Abby was over it. I'm like, this is done. Like, I'm trying to leave here, and you, you're still going after this. Like, I'm over this. It's time that for this sounds, to be done. That sounds a lot like people's reaction to the end of the first game, where it's like, I wish I had a choice to not kill the doctors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, not to, like, say you're right or wrong i just think that's actually kind of interesting like you wish you could have chosen who to fight as well i love that opportunity of both sides yeah that's so cool yeah and like even to that point like you could have gotten two different endings okay well like it i would have felt either way like okay then this is done now okay the the story is done now leaving it ambiguous and like letting everybody leave i think is an easy out like i think you know she's Mm -hmm. left with her ellie's left with her misery Abby's left going back to find the fireflies. So everybody, it, you know what I mean? You get closure on both stories, but nobody really dies because uh, they did not kill any of the two major characters that you were working with throughout the, the entire story. I just felt like it was it was an easy out and having the opportunity to like one side or the other. I was really, when I was mashing the button, I'm like, and the thing of it is, is Abby, in my opinion, in that fight, obviously she was weakened, but like she wasn't even coming after Al- Ellie hard. She was like literally just kind of like fighting her, but like pushing her off. Like, j- can we stop now? Can we stop now? Can we stop now? And she was taking a ton of beating and she was still more like, just, I don't want to fight. Yeah. Well, Abby's, Abby's been where Ellie is yeah. and knows the cost. And obviously you can, Ellie doesn't walk away with empathy for Abby. Like, ah, oh, I sure. get it. Ah, oh, man, we're great. Abby may have some empathy for Ellie because she has been where she is, but we're feeling it outside of the game. Yeah. But we have to go through with Ellie's motivations and where she's at. Just like we had to go through Joel killing the doctors. Sure. sure, you only had to kill one doctor. You didn't have to kill them all. Like, at least I did for a long time. Now, I can't wait to replay the first game again and get to that moment. Because you understand, there's more context behind it now, mm-hmm. and be like, oh, yeah. I don't want to kill you. I know what's going to happen." Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, I find that interesting. The, uh, go ahead. I, I was going to say to that first to the first fight. Like, I, I don't want to belabor it too much, but like, it felt as bad as the David fight. Like, it was really bad. Like, I like mm. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, it was it was silly seeing her in third person, Ellie in third person. It was almost like a character of Ellie, not actually Ellie, while I was, like, chasing also her. Also sprinting and it was, like, around super fast. It was, like, jarring yeah. to me. Yeah. yeah and, and, like, laying down, like, the, the bombs. And I'm like, wait, what are you doing? Like, and then every time you go to attack her, all of a sudden she'd come out with, like, this machete. And I'm like, wait, where's that machete? Like, I didn't own that when I left you last. So you definitely don't have it. I don't understand what's going on. So <laughs> it was really, it was just really weird. I thought it was a really kind of cool and powerful to to do that. It's another subversion of expectations of fighting, you know, the character that you started as and granted from the first game and stuff. I thought that was cool. And when I fought her, I thought it was she did everything. She didn't do something that I couldn't have done sure. playing as her. And so I did I I liked their how they adhered to their own rules where you could lay a trap mine when fighting enemies or a boss and you could have picked up a machete and to be fair you may not have had like you can pick up any sort of melee weapon so she could have picked one up so I can see that but yeah if you didn't leave her off with one it's kind of weird that she suddenly has one Um, it just felt like the most video game fight in the entire game I was just like okay this is a video game boss fight okay Yeah, I mean, it ju- like the David story was like that because it was really an interesting story in one, and then the fight was like terrible. So like I appreciated the st- the story that led up to the fight. I just didn't really like the encounter. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the f- any, do you want to say anything real quick? Yeah, just the the final fight. Um, 
at least my two cents on it. I I think it's their best boss fight they've done ever. Um, it reminds me a lot of the one at the end of Uncharted 4, but instead of teaching you the mechanic in that very moment, you learned that mechanic earlier in the game. You're very familiar with what, and it was boiled down to, you know, two essential core mechanics, the dodging and the slashing. So gameplay-wise, I think it's their best fight, but also because of the emotional weight behind it. Mm-hmm. In previous Naughty Dog games, the final fight or boss fight or, or in any of their games, except maybe The Last of Us Part 1, but that's not really a fight. It's more just killing a doctor. Um, you know, they had, they had not pulled off the weight of it. We've come a long way from Lazarevich and Uncharted 2. And I think this fight was really well done mechanically, design-wise, and just emotionally. It boils everything down. I have—I don't know of a game boss fight where I've played and felt empathy for the boss that I was fighting. Like, usually when you go fight a boss, you're ready to take him down. It's the big moment. Um, you're ready. Like, yes, I've worked hard. I'm ready to kill this person. I didn't want either one of them to die. And I... As you're drowning Abby, I really thought they were going to kill her. And I was going to be really kind of crushed. But that is super powerful. And they did it through gameplay. They didn't do it through a cutscene. They could have done it in a cutscene. They, But you're executing it, and I think that puts emotional weight behind it for you. Especially having played both characters. It's just not something I've seen in a boss fight before. And I really thought that was powerful. Uh, I also liked how the main menu is where you fight. Like, where you literally start the game yeah, is yeah, also cool. where you sort of finish the game. I like that. Um, Dom and I talked about this uh, during our podcast, but I want to know from Chris, you and Max, you know at the end when you walk down as Ellie to go find Abby, were you tricked to going towards the person with the ponytail first and then turning around and seeing that, you know, Abby had had her head shaved and was it, like, emaciated now? I did. I went to the right. Like, I went all the way to the far right, because I'm like, I wonder how far this goes and how far mm-hmm. it'll let, let me go. And then when I did do that, I was like, oh, wait. And I turned around, and then I saw – I actually saw Lev, and then I uh, spun and saw and saw her, which oh, okay. when I saw Lev, I was like, oh, no. And then I saw her, and I'm like, oh, no. Like, where is she? Like, that's not her. Like, you know what I mean? So Yeah. It's, it's a Naughty Dog thing, just, like, to psych you out. You know, you go down yeah. a hallway, you turn right. Oh, no, the door's blocked. You turn around. Oh, there's a hole here the whole time. It's it's a good moment, especially because you see that individual's silhouette clearly looks extremely dead. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, you know, you feel, ah, oh, that was rot, but no. Which I also think kind of leads to an impact of seeing how much Abby and Lev have gone through in their time kidnapped with the Rattlers, which sound gnarly, man. Like, they had some sort of coliseum, it sounded like, and they had a fu- I don't know, man. Rattlers sound messed up. But you yeah. see her hair, you see the weight and muscle she's lost. She's obviously, you can see it was there, but she clearly looks like she's been through a lot. And yeah, they do psyche out there. Before we close with our personal interpretations of the ending, uh, I wanted to go through rapid fire. So it's going to work is I'm going to say the question, I'm going to answer it first, then Dom will answer it, then Chris, and then Max, okay? We're going to get through this rapid fire style. So the first one, I'm changing it up a little bit. Our favorite character and our least favorite character. For me, favorite character, still Ellie. Least favorite character, Isaac. Oh, Jesus. Uh, I guess Abby (laughs) would be my favorite. And least favorite would be... 
I don't know, man. I guess Isaac, too. Yeah, he's just kind of a tool to be used. My favorite character was Abby, and my least favorite character was Marlene. <laughs> oh, yeah, she's in this, yeah. <laughs> I actually was super stoked when she showed up. I was like, oh, she's back. Um, my favorite character, I guess, hmm, favorite playable character would be Abby. My favorite character in the whole game, I actually still think is Joel. Um, just hmm. to see what he went through and those flashbacks and moments and things, I really... The game is still about Ellie and Joel at parts, and I, I really enjoyed him. M- um, least favorite character, um, the guy whose lip you cut just because he kicks your face in. He was, I was really primed to just dislike him from the get-go. I honestly don't even remember his name, but I, I was very happy when he died. Uh, next, best moment. Uh, for me, it's Ellie's birthday with Joel, clearly. Mm. Yeah, me too. I was going to say that. My favorite moment was stumbling upon Ellie and the guitar playing Take On Me. Mm. Ooh, good one. Yeah. Max it's crazy that, that that's entirely missable. Um, mine's the final boss fight. Uh, next up, discuss, I guess, uh, the most terrifying, tense, anxiety-inducing moment. For me, it's the Rat King chase. I'm with Chris on that one. Yeah, yeah by far. Uh, it was Joel dying for me. Um having that fear that knowing what was about to happen and the way it happened and like Ellie screaming the whole time. And it just, yeah, that was awful. Uh, for uh. me, it's that whole basement in the hospital. Um, because you know, like something's going to happen. It's the, the first this is ground zero for the infection. There's something down there. There's noises. It's just, it's horror. And it, uh, I didn't want to do it. Jared, I'm going to throw in a notable really quick, and it's um, the moment that Abby was going to uh, take out Dina and oh. stab her, and Lev stopped her, Ooh. and I thought yeah. that he, if he, had he not been there, that wouldn't have been a very good scenario for to watch as a video game. I would have literally been, I would have noped out of it right after that. I'd have been like, yeah, I'm done. What's the dialogue? It's like, no, she's pregnant. She's like, good, right? Good. Like yeah, like yeah because yeah. Mel, Mel had died too. Yep. Um, yep. It's just, which oh. is, that one. That one was kind of weird because I'm like, Abby never really even liked Mel that much. Yeah. Well, yeah, but that scenario yeah. was different because Ellie didn't know. Had Abby known, that's a completely different situation. Yeah. Yes. That. Uh, and I guess last we'll end with your biggest praise for the game and your biggest criticism. Uh, for me, I guess my biggest praise would be they took a risk and it worked for me for the most part, which I'll commend on because we don't really see a lot of risks like this in video games. Same reason why completely detached from this, I'm excited for Watch Dogs Legion because they're taking a mechanical risk with the game. Uh. And my biggest criticism would be the pacing uh, in the second half specifically. I think up until the theater with Abby is perfectly paced for me. And then after that, it kind of drags. Dom? Is he there? Did he cut out? I think he froze. Uh, we'll go to you then, Chris. All right. Um, so I would I agree as far as my least favorite was the pacing of the game. I thought it just dragged in the back half. Um, even though Abby ended up becoming my favorite character in the game, um, I really thought that it it that it really needed almost eight hours of setup in order for me to get to that point. Um, and then as far as my praising is concerned, it's really hard to make a sequel for a game and one that even comes close to the original. And I think that this game is very very high, and it it does just that. Yeah, Max. My criticism is actually uh, about the open space in the beginning of Seattle. I The first time through the game, I didn't realize that would be the only 
open spot in the game. I thought there was going to be at least one more like open area to explore. Uh, so I didn't savor it as much. It didn't explore everything that first time around. So I wish that had been better communicated or at least my expectations had been tempered the right way. I, I thought there was going to be more open areas instead, instead of just one early on in the game. As far as praise, uh, along those lines of the sequel, I think they completely earned the part two in the name. Uh, it's very hard to, you know, follow up a sequel, especially when the first game is so... First game, movie, whatever, is so well-lauded and beloved by people. I They earned it through and through, and they did... The, they stuck to their guns. They didn't shy away from telling the story they wanted to tell. Whether it worked out for everyone or not, like, the people who enjoyed it, their hard work and, like, dedication and drive to tell the story they wanted to tell in the game that they wanted to make paid off. And not just critically and emotionally, but, you know, also financially. Like, the game sold 4 million copies within the first three, first week or four days or whatever it was becoming the best-selling PlayStation exclusive this entire generation. You know, smoking, like, that was 0.6 more than Spider-Man. And Spider-Man, I thought Spider-Man would be the king as far as PS4 exclusives, just initial sales. But it clearly, it shows that the hard work and bold storytelling does pay off. And that single-player games, which is something Sony's backed this entire generation, also pays off and can work and are worth the time and money and development. It also helped that we're in a situation where video games are selling better than ever due to current circumstances. Uh, so yes. it also got to lift by that, which is incredible as well. Um, not to detract from, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I don't know if Dom's going to be able to join us by the end of this podcast. It seems like his internet might have given up on him. Uh, real quick, before we close out and I give the ending spiel, I wanted us to give our interpretations of the final scene where Allie is walking away from the house, right? After she goes and sees the note. And for me, I believe that she went back to Jackson to try and reconcile with Dina. Uh, whether that works or not, who knows? Um, it's but for yeah. part three to tell you. Yeah, I I have a feeling in, in my heart that's where she went because she realized her mistakes. And I think you know it doesn't mean that they'll end up together again, but I do think Ellie wants to try and make it work and you know at the end of the day i see her as like a hopeless romantic and somebody who understood the error of her ways and i saw her walking away towards jackson to try to you know talk to dina again yeah for me i think i mean she was wearing dina's bracelet so that gave me an indication that she either has a thought obviously like they either connected prior or like she's putting it on you know with anticipation to go back and say listen i was you were with me all the time you know that sort of thing um, and as far as Abby's concerned, at, I mean, the opening, again, once you try to replay on New Player Plus, shows the boat on the island. So I, Abby's mm. going to the Fireflies, which, man, opens up a whole new can of worms. And I would love to see that be part three if they decided to ever do that, because I would love to be jumping in back in with Lev and Abby. Yeah, I, I agree. I think Ellie went to Jackson. She, she doesn't only have to reconcile with Dina and JJ, which, you know, who knows how long of a time it was to and from Santa Barbara. I mean, JJ obviously has gotten older. But also, um, Tommy and um, Maria. Je- Jesse's parents? To a certain degree, I suppose. Um, 
technically Ellie leaving got them their grandson back in Jackson, so they yeah. might be thankful. Who knows? But also that the menu, how it changes um, at the beginning, I think does say that Abby and Lev do they at least back are they're back on their beach uh, to me and that they are going to find the fireflies despite all the time i think it was months because the biker the rather said it had, they picked an abby up a few months ago so i think they do end up finding the fireflies which again is one of those open endings just like part one and it is open to interpretation but the game stands as it is so they don't have to follow up but they could if they find a story that they want to tell yeah. Uh, I guess before we go on to get into the whole spiel, can you let the people know where to find you at, Chris? Yep. I'm at uh, Topher Noons on Twitter, T-O-P-H-E-R-N-U-N-E-S. Max, can you let people know where they can find you as well? I'm on Twitter at MaxRoberts143, and you can find my writing over at MaxFrequency.net. Could you pitch Chasing the Stick real quick? Oh, yeah, of course. Um, Chasing the Stick is just the history of Naughty Dog during the PS4 era, so everything from really the release of The Last of Us in 2013 up through um, about a month before the release of The Last of Us Part 2. I decided to release it all before the game came out. So it's just the history of that studio and everything that they went through both in game development and personally through team struggles and people leaving and sexual harassment and stuff. So it's the story of that studio and everything they've been through for this console generation. It's over on maxfrequency.net. There's a button up at the top. You can click that. You actually technically can go to chasingthestick.com. It takes you right to it. And then I, I also recorded it as uh, a podcast, an audiobook. So you can download the whole thing and listen to it. If you don't prefer to read, you'd rather listen. And I've been releasing, I've broken it into parts as well and releasing those as individual episodes if you'd rather have it in a piecemeal format. So Shout out to the podcast version because I used that while I was running. Because <laughs> oh, I jog good. every morning, yeah, and I was listening to it while I was jogging, so like it was pretty awesome. Like while I was going through to listen to the to the podcast, because it was a little bit easier for me. So it was really, it was, it's really, really good and, and well worth your time. Well, thank you. Uh, I suggest Spotify. That's where I listen to podcasts too, so you can find it there as well. That's where I listen to it. Um, I don't think Dom is going to join us for the ending of the show, so I'll just get into the spiel. If you guys can, please search Controlled Interest in all of the podcast services you know. I will pop right up. On YouTube, if you search us up, hit the subscribe button, hit the bell notification to know when new videos are published because you can't trust YouTube sub boxes. Uh, Twitter, you can follow us collectively at CTRLINT. It's Controlled Interest abbreviated. You can follow Dom at Dom Zorios. You can follow me at Jared underscore. Rand will be looking to do some more of these spoiler casts when they're fit uh, because, you know, not always do we play it these new games there's not enough of us anyways and this one was a perfect lineup where dom had finished it i had finished it chris you were um you know nice enough to join us as well as you max who's who's somebody who doesn't do a whole lot of podcasts i'm glad you're able to join us in such a short fashion from the last time when me and you talk playstation 5 so hopefully you guys enjoyed the spoiler cast i love talking to you guys about this game it's obviously it's kind of divisive um and i think that's a good indication of something that uh, was well crafted because art is supposed to make you feel something. You're not supposed to always feel happy about something, but the fact that it makes you feel anything at all, I think, is a success. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is, you know, finish something and feel nothing. Meh. That was an experience. Thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next time.